This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. In 1814, America experienced a great land rush known as Alabama Fever. It followed the Creek War, a conflict initially between the indigenous tribes that made up the Creek Confederation, but soon enough involved the white militia, fueled by American hunger for land. Fighting lasted roughly a year, eventually ending when the American general Andrew Jackson forced the Creeks to surrender more than 21 million acres of land to the United States. As a result, Land grants were offered to settlers and speculators looking for new opportunities further south, and a frenzy erupted. Dr. John Drish was one of these men, a widowed Virginian with great ambition, who after migrating to the new state of Alabama, built a beautiful home he named Monroe Place. But in the near two centuries since Dr. Drish's death, stories have circulated surrounding this home as it fell into disrepair and dilapidation. Stories of either eerie lights of unknown origins or the apparition of flames engulfing the Grand Tower Drish built as an entryway, a tower where many believe he met his fate. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. The city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, was founded in 1816 when settler Thomas York arrived with his family and built themselves a cabin. 
Over time, more Americans arrived and settled in the area, and a small town was born. Originally, the town was called the Falls of Tuscaloosa. It was named in honor of the legendary Mississippian chief and warrior. Tuscaloosa was known for his leadership during the Battle of Mabila in 1540, when he led 2,500 native warriors in an attack against the invading Europeans, led by the Spanish explorer, Hernando de Soto. It is unknown exactly how long the battle lasted, but in the end, the Spanish managed to escape from the fortified Mabila. And after they did, de Soto ordered his men to set fire to the village. The Spanish losses at the battle were the greatest seen during the whole of de Soto's expedition. And although an exact counting of native losses does not exist, the Spanish accounts of the battle place the total between 2,500 and 4,000 dead. This number includes both native warriors as well as the inhabitants of the destroyed village and warrior chief Tuscaloosa himself. When Thomas York settled on the land centuries later, he chose a location that had once long been home to various native tribes whose trails all converged at this one location on the Black Warrior River, the southernmost point that would allow safe river crossings under various conditions. What was once the location of the great Mississippian civilization was now a small but growing American town. Two years after York's arrival, the city's population and economy grew quickly and was officially incorporated on December 13, 1819. The very next day, Alabama would officially enter the Union as its 22nd state. Dr. John R. Drish was born in Virginia in 1795. At the age of 23, he married and started a family. Tragically though, within a year of his daughter Catherine's birth, Drish became a widower and was left to care for the child alone. So he sent the infant to live with relatives. And in 1822, Dr. Drish migrated south to the new settlement town of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. There, the charming Southern man met a rich widow named Sarah Owen, and the couple married in 1825. Catherine soon rejoined her father in Alabama while he continued to grow his fortune, not only practicing medicine, but also acting as a building contractor for the growing community, hiring out the use of his highly skilled slaves as labor. These artisans' craftsmanship was instrumental to much of the beautiful, ornate plaster work of the early buildings in the young, upstart city. 
And according to the 1830 federal census, Dr. Drish owned a total of 25 slaves, both men and women, who among their ranks were fine plaster workers, woodcarvers, and iron workers. By 1837, Drish had briefly served in the Alabama House of Representatives, expanded his real estate holdings, and made a fortune on his investments in early railroad lines. He was now wealthy enough to retire from his medical practice and move into his new, beautifully constructed mansion that his family would call home. The construction of Dr. Drish's new mansion began in 1835. It would become one of the first plantation homes in Tuscaloosa, the focal point of a 350-acre plantation bordering the city limits. The house was elaborately designed and decorated in the Greek Revival style. The exterior of the home featured Doric porticos to the front and rear, with two-story pilasters dividing each bay. Inside, the rooms were elaborately and ornately decorated with embellished plasterwork and fine woodworking. Each room was designed uniquely. Dr. Drish had clearly built his home with the idea of using it as a showroom for potential clients to display the abilities and craftsmanship of his slaves. The ornate ornamentation seen in the house, as well as the overall architecture of the home, were designed by Dr. Drish himself, likely inspired by William Nichols, a prominent architect of the time, known for his stately designs. Like many of the wealthy men during this era, Drish was considered a gentleman architect, having no formal education in the field, but working with wealthy clients to design properties that were visually pleasing. Drish's background as a building contractor also came in handy. Construction on his grand new home took two years, and once complete, the mansion would become known as Monroe Place. But many claim that life in Monroe Place was often filled with sorrows and great family afflictions. John and his daughter Catherine's relationship had long been strained, thought to have even become violent and abusive at times. One story purports that John did not approve of a man his daughter had fallen in love with. So he locked her in a room at Monroe Place, providing her with little to no food or water until she finally relented to his wishes to end the relationship. Drish then drove the lover from town and forced Catherine to marry William King. The couple went on to have three surviving children of their own, but their marriage ended abruptly when King divorced Catherine on the grounds of insanity. He then sent his wife and their two sons back to her father's home 
to live with Dr. Drish and her stepmother, Sarah Owen, once more. By this time, the family had lived in Monroe Place for over a decade, and Catherine's return would coincide with an extensive remodel of the home. Drish would dabble in the Italianate style, making several changes to the mansion's facade, but most notably, he added a three-story brick tower. Many claim that Drish added the structure to allow him to jealously spy over the construction of the home of rival planter Robert Jemison Jr. Unfortunately, it's this tower that would become not only the site of tragedy, but also the focal point of the Drish House's supposed hauntings. In 1860, Dr. John Drish owned almost 90 slaves, and when emancipation came to Alabama in 1865, he was financially ruined. He gained a reputation in town as an unlucky gambler and alcoholic. So in 1867, when he fell to his death in his home in Monroe Place, some claimed that alcohol was the cause. There are several stories that surround the tragedy of Dr. Drish's death. One says that Drish threw himself from a second floor balcony. Another says he was merely drunk and fell down the stairs. And yet another, that he had been attempting to quit drinking altogether and lost control from the effects of the withdrawals. Yet whatever story might be true, Dr. John Drish was found dead after a mighty fall on July 25, 1867, leaving his wife, Sarah, a widow, twice over. For years afterwards, the servants would claim to hear the echoes of his stumbling footsteps and the deathly cry from this fall. Dr. Drish had left elaborate burial requests for his funeral, and Sarah made sure that they were carried out to the letter. But after her beloved was buried at the nearby Greenwood Cemetery, she became obsessed in her grief, growing more and more eccentric as time passed, insisting that when she died, she was to have exactly the same elaborate burial as her husband had received. So focused on her dying wish, Sarah even stored away the candles from her husband's funeral so they could also be used for her own. But when she died 14 years later, on April 14, 1884, those funerary candles could not be found.
Seradrish's final wish could not be met. And as a result, many believe this to be the origin of the haunting at the Drish House. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Following the death of Mrs. Drish, the home changed hands several times, and Monroe Place would remain one of Tuscaloosa's finest private residences until the turn of the 20th century, when it would find its way into ruin and dilapidation. The acreage surrounding the once great home eventually sold and used as the site of Tuscaloosa's first major expansion the farmland giving way to urbanization. In 1906, the Tuscaloosa Board of Education acquired the building and opened the Jemison School, which remained until 1925, when the building was sold to the Tuscaloosa Wrecking Company. Though the beginning of the Great Depression is often cited as the stock market crash on October 24, 1929, for those in Tuscaloosa, the economy had already been failing long before then. 
and the fortunes of the Drish house were in a parallel freefall. A photograph of the mansion and its partially decayed state as an auto parts warehouse was featured in the book Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. The classic work, published in 1941, documented the lives of Alabama sharecroppers and tenant farmers living in desperate poverty. The photo proved so powerful that it was eventually displayed at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Alabama's economy would not rebound until the beginning of World War II, but the Drish House was not so lucky. By 1994, it had reached such a point of dilapidation that it was considered for demolition. But as the building's condition deteriorated, the legends surrounding it only grew. And these new stories were different to the ones that began after Dr. Drish died. Instead of seeing apparitions of the doctor and hearing the disembodied sounds of his fall, it was purported that Dr. Drish's beloved tower would sometimes seem to be on fire. Accounts of these flames happened repeatedly over the years. Alabama folklorist Catherine Tucker Wyndham was among the first to chronicle these claims in her 1969 book, 13 Alabama Ghosts and Jeffrey. She, like many, claimed these, quote, death lights in the tower were the ghost of Mrs. Sarah Drish. Wyndham wrote, According to tales about her home, it is her frustrated ghost who returns to alarm the neighborhood by burning candles in the tower. Candles which she wanted to be burned around her coffin at her death. Other stories have appeared over the years, each claiming a different, possible origin of the phantom flames in the tower. According to one legend, a runaway slave once hid in the tower. Eventually, after thirst and starvation took its toll, he was forced to reveal himself and hand it over to his master. In punishment, he was burned to death. And some claim that to this day, the fire plagues the tower as a reminder of his gruesome execution. Yet despite the stories and the uncertainty behind the origin of the death lights or the flames in the tower, there's been no evidence found to suggest that there ever actually was a fire in the tower. In the end, it was time that saved the dilapidated Drish House from demolition in 1994. The building had survived long enough for historic preservationists to take interest and save the home. 
today. Thanks to Dr. John Drish, the gentleman architect. The Drish House is considered to be one of the most distinctive mixes of Greek revival and Italiente style architecture found in Alabama. But through the decades and centuries, the stories of the death lights in the tower continue. Ethereal funeral candles still burning, a constant reminder of a widow's grief. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, What's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.